0: The Anaheim Ducks pull off a great come-from-behind victory against the Seattle Kraken. But hey, folks, this is only game number one of 82. We still have 81 more of these to go. This season is a marathon, not a sprint. We'll talk about all that on today's Locked On Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I know, that game ran long, didn't it? Your Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Welcome, everyone, to Locked On Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason J.D. Hernandez, covering hockey for well over a decade. Thanking you, for making this your first listen of the day, evening, whatever. Don't forget, this podcast is free and available across all platforms. And you could follow my Twitter right here, at Stimpy JD, there it is. Just follow it right right around there. Yeah, there we go. And, hey, check out the show's Twitter at LO underscore Ducks. We have a lot of fun there. All right, so, game one. How about that overtime goal by Troy Terry, or as Sarah Avampato would say, Troy Vetchkin scored his first and second goals of the season. Just a quick hit. Ducks won it 5-4 in overtime. And, oh boy, let's break down a couple of things first. I want to talk about the bad first, and that was the special teams, specifically the penalty kill. Oh my gosh. The penalty kill was abysmal for Anaheim. Seattle was 3-4-5 on the power play, including three in the first period and a half alone. I mean, as soon as Oliver Bjorkstrand got that goal, I thought, oh, the Ducks are just going to be that bad. Because at the time, it was three out of four on the PK. <laughs> three out of four. Are you kidding me? Are you joking? The Ducks had one successful PK at the time. It turns out they had two successful penalty kills, and that was it. And technically, technically, one of those successes was when it was five on three. Yeah, So I guess after that first penalty lapsed, that counted as a penalty kill. Then it went to 5-on-4 against Anaheim. And oh look, Seattle scores again. So technically, the Ducks really only had one true kill in this game. One! One! That's it! And this goes back to a couple of guys in particular that did not have a good outing on defense. Kevin Shattenkirk... Had a horrific outing. And <laughs> Nate Beaulieu. Oh boy. Nathan Beaulieu did not have a good game on defense. Except for the fact that he got a crap ton of block shots. And so did Dimitri Kulikov. Kulikov I thought was great on defense with Jamie Drysdale. Klingberg was a different beast altogether. We'll talk about him in a second. But as far as PK. I mean, also not a good look for Derek Grant, who was out there for a couple of those. For what it's worth, Derek Grant did win some faceoffs, and he looked good on even strength. That's about it. But also, give credit, if, if we can give credit at all, give credit to Max Comtois for trying to hold it together on the PK. He was at least trying. Jakob Silferberg. He did not have a good game either offensively or defensively. And that goes on a man disadvantage and on even strength, unfortunately. In fact, that third line. Let's talk about that third line now. So I talked about the PK. It was bad. It was it was really bad. And that segues into the third line for the Ducks, which was not that good. Okay, according to Nat Statrick, that third line... Ugh, oh you ready for this? Max Comtois, Isaac Lundestrom, and Jakob Silverberg, they had a coursey four percentage on even on five on five of only twenty-three percent. Oh that is that that's stinky folks. That is stinky awful. <laughs> Between that line, they gave up pretty much the majority of goals. They did. I mean they allowed some pretty high danger chances against them and then you look at the penalty kill and Comptois and Silverberg paired together they were they were just simply there. they were there. as far as the PK, the pairing with Derek Grant was was better. it, it just was. the stats are right there. the eye test was right there. Derek Grant and Pavel Regenda, I thought I thought they looked pretty good together, along with Max Jones, who provided some, some spark. But that third line struggled mightily throughout the entire game. Offensively, they could hardly find anything, too. They barely got anything of quality on goal. So that's a line that has to be addressed if you're Dallas Eakins. Now let's go on to the fourth line that Max Jones, Derek Grant, um, Pavel Regenda line. Pavel Regenda looked pretty decent. He looked fine in his first game as an Anaheim Duck. And also, gotta gotta say this, but Pavel Regenda, I thought there was at least one opportunity where I thought he was going to get a point. Didn't happen. Oh, well. <laughs> now let's talk about the good and by good i mean great that top six for the anaheim ducks i i've mentioned this on a different a different video and i've mentioned this on twitter and online look that first line is fantastic that second line might Ooh, it's tough for me to see the second line might be better but just the top six in general. I thought had a very good outing so let's begin with just look at that first line Mason McTavish my boy then you got Strom Ooh, okay let's talk about Ryan Strom for a second he made a fantastic first impression as an Anaheim duck probably one of the better I guess ducks debuts that we've seen in recent memory one of the best then we have Troy Terry Finishing off that line. Woo. Troy Terry makes any line good. Second line. Rico Z and Frank Vitrano. You know what? That's that's good on its own. And in some senses, that second line was better than that first. But the first line, top line is the best. Keep that group together. As much as I would like to see Zgris and Terry together. I see why they put Strom on that line with Terry and McTavish. They need someone with a little bit more depth in their game, someone with some veteran presence on that first line. And Strom was one of those guys with the Rangers. Let's not forget don't forget that Ryan Strom was on the second line for a while with the New York Rangers. He was a great top six guy in New York. And he's proving already after, I know it's one game, but he's proving to be a very, very quality top six guy in Anaheim. And, you know, for him to get three points, one goal, two apples, that's fantastic. Mason McTavish, two apples, great. Troy Terry, two goals, an assist. So he got a pair of three-point nights, both from that first line. And Mason McTavish, two points himself. So between that first line, eight, count them, eight Eight, yeah, that's eight points for that first line. They're about as good, you ready for this? They're about as good as pretty much any first line in the Pacific Division. I'm not going to go as far as saying in the entire league because there's some really good first lines in the league in general. But save for maybe one team, the Ducks have one of the best first lines in the Pacific Division. Mark my words, there's gonna be a lot of points coming from there, and I know I made that prediction, which might sound silly, but I'm I'm gonna stick by it. I'm, yeah, I'm still gonna say. Troy Terry, 40 point season. I'm sorry, but not 40 points. Check that. 40 goal season. Yes, I'm going to say that. Troy Vetchkin, 40 goal season. That was my prediction before, that was my bold prediction. I'm going to stick with it because if you can have Strom and McTavish being great distributors and McTavish just kind of bruising his way around. And by the way, you see that first penalty that McTavish had where he just kind of had a little bit of a push towards the boards. Yeah, it resulted in a penalty, but McTavish, he's got some strength there. He's NHL ready. He's already got an NHL body at his age. He is there. He deserves to be on that first line. I really believe that. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout. But first, let's talk about Bet Online, which is the one place that has you covered, the one place that we trust. Bet Online has you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. NHL season began. NBA season is starting soon. NFL week five, week six. And MLB playoffs are happening right now. So if you want to get in on the action, and if you can, then head over to betonline.net right now using either your mobile device or your laptop to check out the latest lines. BetOnline is where the game starts, and BetOnline is the official online sportsbook of the On Podcast Network. And please gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Locked On, Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You're locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez. And before I talk about the John Gibson Appreciation Hour, I just want to mention that I did a kind of squad cast. There was a viewing party with myself, host of Locked On Ducks, and Erica Ayala, host of Locked On Kraken. We had a lot of fun watching that game together and watching the whole thing unfold because the Ducks were down. So, I mean, let's break down the game itself. Troy Terry did score less than a minute into the game on a snipe shot. Great feed from Mason McTavish, making it 1-0 early on. Then the three power play goals from the Kraken. Garrett McCann, Andrew Burakovsky, Oliver Bjorkstrand, all scored on the power play. And on one of those power plays, that was on a two-man advantage. Actually, it was a two-man advantage for... ...for a while in that first period. Because I mentioned that Mason McTavish tripping penalty... ...where he really pushed Jaden Schwartz in the back. I guess they called it a trip. Then Kulikov got a penalty for slashing. Yeah, that was an obvious penalty. I mean, Donato's stick got slashed. It was broken in twain. So that's what happened. It wound up being a two-man advantage for Seattle. The Ducks, for what it's worth... They didn't have them score while it was 5-on-3. So yippee, that's good. And then about 30 seconds after that penalty had lapsed, that's when McCann scored. So that's where the Ducks were successful in killing a penalty. Sure, alright. As far as the Burakovsky and the Bjorkstrang goals, look, that was just the Ducks not having good clearances. They were not getting pucks out. And that was the big issue for the first 37 minutes of the game, the Ducks allowed a plethora of shots on goal. In fact, during that time, the shots on goal were 31-15. to 15. And I remember writing that down. Because it was at that point where the offensive zone time for the Ducks was struggling. And I was saying to myself, oh man, the Ducks are going to be down bad. Like they were at the time down to and I was even saying in our little viewing party, oh man, it's going to be tough to come back from 2 if they keep playing like, you know, dog crap. But hey, Ryan Strom to the rescue on the power play. Which, by the way, another great pass from Mason McTavish. Love that goal a lot. But what I really, really liked about it was the saucer pass from Mason McTavish, and Yes, I do. I do this. I do this a lot. Where McTavish, I'm going to pump his tires. But on that power play, going back the other way, because Seattle had cleared the puck, and Seattle even forechecked a little bit, so they had possession. Then when it came back past the neutral zone into the Ducks' offensive zone, that's where McTavish had a sweet saucer pass, maybe maybe three inches, if that. Off the ice to a streaking Ryan Strom who was at the right place at the right time. I loved the goal a lot. But man, I loved that pass by Mason McTavish. Loved it. And that was the spark that the Ducks needed at that time to make it a one goal game. Then the third period happened. Maddie Beneers broke through scoring his first of the season. Yeah, the young kid, Maddie Beneers, he, he looked good. I'll just say it right now: the young guys, they look good for Seattle. So I'll say it for both Seattle and Anaheim. Let the kids play. <laughs> let the- I'm not gonna I'm not gonna yell it, but let the kids play. Let them. That goes for the Ducks too, because hey, one of those kids, Trevor Zegras, and I kind of skipped over the Frank Vatrano goal, which was great in its own right, but that Trevor Zegras power play goal, man. He was calling for it, too. That's a player that wanted to take over at the time. Zegris, he kind of had that slight bit of killer instinct where he kind of had that look saying, like, I'm going to get out there on this power play and I'm going to score. And he did. So he even at one point kind of like yelled, like, like, give me the puck. Then there was some switching. There was actually some movement on this power play. It wasn't stagnant. Oh my God, a non-stagnant power play. What a difference a couple of years makes, right? Because remember in 2020, how everyone just kind of stood still and just kind of passed the puck around, like stand here, pass the puck, pass the puck, pass the puck, see if something happens. No, this power play had movement. And he also had some important movement on the bumper position. So I want to talk about that for a hot second. So for those of you that know about what that bumper position is, that's someone that kind of um, is the in-between when it becomes a power play opportunity. And on that bumper position at the time was Troy Terry. And Troy Terry did a great job of distributing the puck at the time and showing some movement going from wing to center. Normally that's Mason McTavish's job, to play that bumper slot in the power play. But Terry was the one really moving around, and he saw Zegras go from the middle to the right side. And that's when Zegras held the stick up way up high. He kind of held it high like, hey, pass it right here. So they got it to him, and that pass was perfect. And he sniped it right into the goal, And that made it a 4-4 to tie with about six and a half minutes left. So that's what really, I think, was a difference for me. Was the movement was starting to happen again. And that's how the Ducks overcame that two-goal deficit. And, you know, as I kind of joked in the room, hey, a two-goal lead is the safest, it's the most dangerous lead in hockey. And the Ducks proved it right there. That was a dangerous lead to have for Seattle. And, of course, they blew it because Seattle, they're still... A second year team, they're still learning. <laughs> uh then we go to overtime. In overtime, that's when everything just kind of broke loose. Where you had, and I can't believe that this was even happening. <laughs> Can you believe that it was Adam Larson? Adam Larson, of all people, that got a shot off on John Gibson. Now, John Gibson didn't save this clean necessarily but he got just enough to save it and john gibson had the presence of mind to pass it to a streaking troy terry who was just beating oliver bjorkstrand so here's let me break down this play really quick so on this three on three you had what i thought was a good shot followed by an even better play going the other way by the Ducks. And this is where I, I said again. John Gibson. Presence of mind. So right before. You had only three guys out there on each side. You had. For Seattle's side. For Seattle. You had. What was that? Baneers. Then you had Bjorkstrand. And Larson. Yeah. That that was a little bit weird. Actually no. I take that back. It wasn't Bjorkstrand. It was Andre Burkowski. So let me correct myself right now. It was Burakovsky who got burned by Troy Terry. And on the duck side, you had a threesome of Troy Terry. You had Ryan Strom. And you had, ready for this? John Klingberg. So you had a couple of the new guys out there. And look at Ryan Strom just kind of going out there. Trying to position himself at a good spot. And he did. But... When Larson shot that, he kind of really stayed right by John Gibson looking for a rebound, but he was not in the best position to get a rebound. And as Troy Terry saw the look in Gibby's eyes, Troy Terry took off going the other way towards the Seattle goaltender, who at the time was Phil Grubauer. And Burakovsky did not see Troy Terry. It's kind of like a football player, a football receiver kind of just taking off on another gear. And whoever's defending him doesn't see him. And Troy Terry does a great job of protecting the puck and defending against against Burakovsky. And Burakovsky just got burned by Troy Terry, who put on the afterburners and scored the game-winning goal. Troy Terry... With the presence of mind to know that John Gibson is going to make that pass. And a brilliant pass by John Gibson to bounce it off the boards right on the tape. And Troy Terry, he nailed it. And he nailed it backhand, folks. That was a backhand goal that went high glove side against Philip Grubauer. I don't think Grubauer knew exactly where that shot was going to come from. But a brilliant backhanded pass. Or shot, rather, by Troy Terry. Already two goals, 38 to go. I'm going to stick with that. Before we head to a second intermission, I got to talk about John Gibson. It's the John Gibson Appreciation Hour. Gibby had 44 saves during this game. He saw 48 shots. He was ready to get the taser right away. In the first 37 minutes, like I mentioned, he saw... Way too many shots early on. At that point, he had seen, I think it was like 31 shots. After two periods, he had seen 33 shots. He only saw one shot in overtime. That was the Larson shot. <laughs> okay, Anaheim, you cannot give up 48 shots every game. We cannot do this again, all right? Ducks fans everywhere are already just kind of panicking at the fact that the Ducks allowed 48 shots on goal to the Seattle Kraken, which is, by the way, a franchise record. You know, a franchise record being one year and one game old. (laughs) Not much of a record, but hey, 48 shots on goal, that's a record, you know, for them, I guess. It, It shouldn't have come to 48 shots, and it shouldn't have come to John Gibson having to bail out the team over... And over and over and over again. And I think that's where the Ducks need to kind of be careful and watch out. They can't rely on John Gibson every game. But he certainly helped out there. And the Ducks, I I gotta say, the Ducks did kind of escape with that victory in a sense. But the more I think about it, that's the resolve of this team. The Ducks two, three years ago... When they were down two, they would have just given up. Or they would have tried to come back, score a goal, and wind up one goal short. Or even two years ago, where they would have a lead and then squander that lead. Even la- going back to last season, where the Ducks would at least get a point, go to overtime, but then they'd lose in overtime. I mean, that did change as some of the season went on. And I think we're starting to see this Ducks team grow up in front of our eyes. They're starting to make those plays. They're starting to break out in overtime. And we're already seeing it pay off. Especially with guys like Troy Terry. He's going to take over this team. And we're, we're seeing it right there. Uh, a couple other things before heading to break. John Gibson Appreciation Hour, because I have to. He had a .64 game score on this game. The expected goals, and this is courtesy of Nat Statrick, the expected goals in this game were 4.64 to 2.22 in favor of, you guessed it, the Seattle Kraken. Seattle had 4.6 goals expected. The Ducks had only 2.2. John Gibson saved their butts on this game. And Grubauer... Yeah, he probably should have stopped more of those. Especially with an expected goal score of 2.22. Yeah, Gruby's game score was a negative 2.78. Well, it's happening to Grubauer again. And for Gibby, it's starting again. He's going to start piling up those positive points. Can't wait to see what Gibby does the rest of the season. And hopefully, hopefully he will not have to resort to the taser Over and over and over again. All right, before we head to break, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on YouTube by clicking the bell right there. I'd always appreciate a subscribe. And hey, check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. So we're going to talk about this season being a marathon and not a sprint on the other side. Hey, welcome back to Locked On Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Once again, you're locked in with Jason JD Hernandez. All right, so first, I just want to point out one of my favorite websites, and that is Hockey Stack Cards. And Hockey Stack Cards has their heroes of the night. And guess who are two of the heroes of the night? Troy Terry and Ryan Strom, each with three point nights. Troy Terry with a game score of 3.08, and Ryan Strom with a 3.02 score. In fact, only, looks like eight guys had a game score above three. Carson Soucy of the Kraken, Ryan Strome, Troy Terry, Nick Suzuki of the Habs, Miko Rantanen of the Avalanche, Connor McDavid, of course, of Edmonton. Yeah, you got a hat trick, whatever. David Pasternak, so Pasta's back. And here's a name that I did not expect to be at the top. Marty Natchez. Yeah. Marty Natchez had himself a night with the Carolina Hurricanes. He did. All right. So I kind of say this jokingly, and by the way, you're going to see a special guest pop up on this segment. So, yeah, it'll be fun. I say that this season is a marathon and not a sprint, and I kind of say this kind of half-jokingly, kind of not, because I can kind of relate. I, too, am preparing for a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, look, a sprint is, what, 100 meters, 200 meters? You know, for me, being a distance runner, a sprint is maybe half a mile. I know how fast I could run a half mile. I mean, I did a quick mile recently, and did that in about eight eight minutes. Which is, you know, pretty good. Pretty good for me. I've had faster miles, but I haven't been training to run fast. I've been training to run longer distances. So for me, having you know miles under eight is good. And I actually tried doing a half mile recently. <laughs> this was at about three and a half minutes. So I know how fast I could run, but I also don't want to push myself and I also do not want to injure myself. So it's not a sprint. The Ducks don't have to come out of the gates right away. And I was kind of afraid that was going to happen a minute into the game because Troy Terry scored right away. But if you want a recipe for success, there's a plethora of things you've got to do to prepare yourself for a marathon and not a sprint. It comes from training. You gotta make sure that you have your training program. You gotta make sure that you're reading everything. You gotta check your splits. You know what, I'm not gonna grab my phone because it's all charging right now. But I do have an app, it's the Strava app. And you know I'm on there and I use that to monitor my running. So make sure you're training properly, make sure that you're monitoring everything. What you want to do, you want to make sure that you're eating right. You know, I mean, you know, you got to make sure that you're eating the right things and having the right snack foods as you are preparing something else. You got to make sure you're drinking the right things. You know, make sure that you're drinking something that is healthy for you, you know, because that'll give you that nice little immunity boost. That'll give you a nice little pick me up as you train. And speaking of training, you know, when you're training, Make sure that you're out there training hard. But at the same time, make sure you have a training buddy. You got to have a very good training buddy with you. Someone that you love a lot. You know, as far as Trevor Zegers, Trevor Zegers lives with Jimmy Drysdale. Those two train together. So, you know, having best friends training together, that works out for the best. And make sure you get that good training in because you're going to have to do it over and over and over again. And when you're done training, make sure you have your friends around you. Make sure they're around to pick you up when you feel like you're collapsed and you just wanna crawl into a hole and die. No, you gotta have you gotta have your buddies with you. You gotta have your pick me up. And like I said, for Z, you know, having JD to pick him up, that's always good. And for me, having my training buddy always helps. So Got to make sure that you are prepared for the long haul. And if if I'm the Ducks, I've got to prepare for the long haul. You know, 82 games is a long season. So you got to make sure you're in good shape. You got to make sure you're stretching. Make sure that you're in it to win it. And (laughs) for those on the video side, you probably saw what was happening there. For those on the audio side, have no idea what's going on. But video side got a nice little treat there. Yeah. (laughs) I, i hope you all enjoyed that yeah so i'm gonna make this a little bit personal because as you may have seen and if you didn't i'm running new york marathon in less than a month and the training will be ramping up so the scheduling for this podcast may be a little bit sporadic at times but that's because you know i can't just train for a sprint i can't just run like eight minutes nine minutes you know, I have to be disciplined. Like these Ducks players have to be disciplined. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The discipline has to come consistently. And for me personally, and this is me just kind of like going off topic here. I need to make sure I am prepared for this marathon because, you know, I've run Boston before. I've run Chicago. Chicago still my favorite one. I've run LA Marathon. I've run... Double-digit marathons. This would be number 11 for me. A full marathon, that is. I've run dozens of half marathons. Preparing for a marathon is a different beast altogether. And I have run the marathon where I wasn't as prepared. And, man, I was feeling it towards the end. The last really good race that I had had to be the 2020 LA Marathon. But I was prepared for that. Like, really freaking prepared so you might notice that the scheduling of shows is going to be very sporadic really sporadic but hey i am trying here but i'm taking that seriously because this is my first new york marathon i want to have a spectacular race there will be there'll be people there supporting me there'll be people cheering me on throughout the course and i want to make them proud So, you know, I'm running a little bit more, hitting the gym a little bit more and taking it really seriously the next three weeks. Yeah, because I'm flying out three weeks from today, flying out to New York. So I have to make sure that I'm as prepared as possible. So just a little bit of a little reminder to all the folks that it is still going to be five shows a week, but all five shows might not be. Monday through Friday, but there will be five shows a week. So just want you guys to bear with me and letting you know what the schedule is because, hey, Marathon is coming up pretty soon. And after that, hey, you know what? I haven't signed up yet, but I'm strongly considering this. I might have this be a celebratory race. The Ducks 5K. Now, I'm not paid by the Ducks for this, but I just want to make mention of this first. The Ducks have a 5K coming up. Finally. Finally, the Ducks have a 5K. I'm tentatively planning on running that. So if I'm going, I hope to see you guys there too. All right. That's a good spot to wrap up this podcast. Uh, Once again, thank you all so much for your continued support. Don't forget this podcast is free and available across all platforms. You can follow the Twitter at StimpyJD. The show's Twitter is at L O underscore Ducks. If you want to drop me a line, locked on Ducks at gmail.com. And once again, thank you for making this your first lesson of the day. And hey, one win in the books, game one down, 81 to go. Let's enjoy this season, folks. For Locked On Anaheim Ducks, I'm Jason JD Hernandez saying have a great rest of the day. Please continue to be safe out there, be kind to one another, and ducks fly together.